Matthew 6, make your way there. Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6. All right, I want to ask you a trick question, and you can use your fingers. How many, when you were doing math years ago, before calculators and trying to figure it out, and you use your fingers or your toes, your mom would say, stop that, you need to figure it out in your head. All right, well, I'm going to let you use the fingers this morning. I'm going to ask you a question. Last week I did a message called Kingdom Math, okay? So think about it. Three minus one equal how many fingers? That's what they taught you in school? No, that's what the Bible taught you. See, regular math, when you have three, you give one away, you have less. But when God's hand is on it, and that was kind of the sense, that if you take three things, if you take your obedience to God, your faith, and your generosity, those three work together, and God smiles on your life. I got the coolest uh, text message the other night. It was from one of our church members, uh, Barb Pitts, and it was about uh, the message on kingdom math that we did last week. And there's a picture they're going to put on the screen of a dining room set, and we'll work up towards the that. Well, here's what she said. Let me illustrate how 3 minus 1 equals 4. Saturday, my husband spent the entire day working at someone's home installing formica on his countertops. Now, how many know when you have a job, uh, you want to get paid as much as you can? Let me see your hand, all the honest people out there. Sure you do. Listen, if you cut hair for a living and somebody will pay 20, you're not going to charge them 10, right? I mean, that's, it's capitalism. It's the American way. Listen, that's the way money flows. That's why a lawyer charges more than someone that's standing behind the counter at McDonald's. I mean, we just live in a world where certain things allow you to make more. And that's typically the way things work. You reach a level in your life, uh, whether it was money that you worked for, money that was given to you, or whatever the case is, money that you stole, whatever the case is, and you kind of make it work, and you kind of try to climb the ladder. Well, here's what she said. My husband, when he was done, he, uh, the man that he did the work for tried to give him $150, but her husband said, no, hundred's good enough. And people in the world would say, what a dummy. But listen to this. Then he got home. He just said, I just feel impressed by God to go and give a certain person uh, at the church this $100. I know he's out of a job. Now, you see how generosity is beginning to work here. Blesses the guy that he could have got more money from and then takes that money and goes and blesses somebody else with it. Well, uh, he comes home, and uh, anyway, his wife says, Now, we've been hoping that we could get some dining room furniture for a long time. But the ones we like, the chairs alone, could be 250 to $400 a piece. Well, tonight my daughter asked me to go to the children's resale event. So now uh, go to this children's place, baby clothes, used clothing. Well, I walk over to the counter, and I saw this dining room set and read a tag on a chair that said $200. So I asked a worker if this meant $200 a chair, and she said, oh, no, it's $200 for the entire set. Well, I couldn't believe it. Why was a dining set at a baby clothes store anyway? And what a fluke it was that I was even there. Does this maybe sound kind of like God at work behind the scenes? Just because he loves somebody. Well, I hadn't even heard about the event until my daughter invited me in on a whim. I just went in the last minute. Well, it was so perfect because I'd just been telling my daughter about the message on kingdom math. And when I bought it, she said, I can't believe you got that beautiful dining set for that price. I can't believe. What would happen if we could believe? Well, I just can't believe that. Now, her daughter, by the way, has a mathnasium where she teaches people math. I told her, like I told you, three minus one. So what we're talking about is we're talking about this series called Blessed, and it's simply been a, a look at the Bible to teach people how to experience the favor of God in everyday life. Now, whether God, God's provision comes to you through an unbelievable deal, 
For most of us, it's through our workaday world. We get up, we, we work our jobs. Uh, you may be reaping the years of education that you invested. Uh, it may be an inheritance. Well, how many know every time that we receive something, it's not just from our efforts, but it's from the hand of God. So we're going to step into this a little bit more. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Uh, we've got another case of these books. I hope you pick up one. It's called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris. And uh, I tell you, it is life-changing. And if you want a little fresh perspective in your financial world and God's blessings, pick one up in the lobby afterwards. You can have it for our cost. And uh, if you can't afford it, if you'll read it, uh, I'll just give it to you. But let me say this to you. We need to think differently about finances than the world thinks. We need to think differently about money and resources. I'm going to paint a picture to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus is speaking about financial worry and future needs. I mean, there's plenty to worry about in the future if you want to worry. It just is. I mean, I don't care if it's Social Security. I don't care if it's Red River and layoffs and all these things. There's plenty to worry about if you let yourself. Have anybody ever struggled with worry? Come on, let me see your hand here. About half of us are honest. The rest of us are just concerned about the future, right? Well, Jesus in verse 31 said this, just kind of this simple statement, don't worry. Is it possible that you can not worry about the future? Is it possible that a peace from God can not make you be oblivious like an ostrich putting his head in the ground, but looking right at the facts, believe that God is still in control of my life? Well, sure it is. Don't worry. Don't ask the question, what am I going to eat, drink, or wear? How am I going to make these basic payments in my life? And then he makes a great contrast that I want you to see that two groups of people exist. The people who don't know God, well, they just keep trying to get these things. Now, I know Christians try to get these things too, people that do know God. But we're not just after the things. We're after God first, and then the things follow. Jesus said they keep trying to get these things, but listen to this, your Father in heaven... He knows you need them. Now, that's a comfort. God knows you need them. But look at verse 33. You seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, and then all your other needs will be met as well. Now, how many will say, I sure like my needs to be met? Now, do we sometimes maybe put more confidence if, for example, maybe our employer says, hey, I'll meet your needs if you work here. Now, how do they say that? They say, well, let me do what the benefit. Here's the salary. Uh, here's the bonus schedule. Here's what you're going to be making in a few years. Uh, we're gonna, here's your benefits. You're going to get health insurance. You're going to get dental insurance. You know what your employer is telling you? I'm going to take care of you. Well, listen, thank God for an employer that's like that. But isn't it better to take God at His word that He'll take care of us? Now, that's what this series is about. I don't want a thing from you. There's no tricks at the end. There's no usher at the back door. I just want to try to help you be able to apply some biblical principles in your life regarding your finances. Because here's what I know. You come to church on a Sunday morning, you have some level of love for, love for God. You have some desire for God in your life. That's a fact. But something else I know is you've got a material world out there. You've got bills to pay. You want to make those bills. You've got plans for the future. Come on, you need some money to do it. I got a call this week from my daughter, Bethany. Bethany's in college, and I'm so proud of her. Uh, she'll often do the video announcements when she's here, the announcements in, our, in our, our church. Well, she's still going to church three times a week. She's got a church. She's got this Bible group. She's got this club. And she calls us this week, and she said, I got the greatest opportunity this summer. There's a, there's a, there's a group that I'm involved in, and they're having a discipleship uh, summer. And uh, it's kind of like an internship, and I could go down for nine weeks. And uh, listen, Dad, I'm around people that party nine months. Uh, I just need to kind of get filled up. And I said, that's great, honey. And then she says, and it's only $2,000. <laughs> 
And I said, well, we're going to pray about that, honey. <laughs> but you know what? I am just like you. I want to try to find a way, if I can, to help my, ch- my children. How about you? Sure you do. Listen, I find a way to get what I want out of the catalog. So, so this is about that whole process. And if you can kind of just drop your, cynics, your cynical side just a minute and just l- let's look at the Bible together and see how to get to a place where God might care for us. Let me give you a picture. It's imagine if we landscaped our yard this, this spring. Got the whole thing. It's beautiful. But only, we only irrigated two-thirds of it. In other words, drip irrigation. We just ran out of money. And we said, you know what? We'll just catch the rest at a later date. Well, you know, in March, it really doesn't matter. It's cool outside. Uh, it's going to rain a little bit. And things will be, you won't tell any difference between what's irrigated and what's not. But guess what long about July? That part that has been properly positioned and cared for and planned for and provided for what's irrigated, all you do is push a button and water begins to circulate on those plants, and they live and prosper, while the third that's not irrigated, guess what, wilts and dies. And that's what I'm suggesting to you today. The, all of America virtually lives under this covering of God's canopy of His goodness. God is just still good to America. And it's certainly not because our bankers are smarter, our business people are smarter, the Fed's smart. God, bottom line, is just good to this nation. How many know that? But there may be a time where the well dries up. And it's at that time in particular that you need to have lived a covenant relationship with God. You need to be looking to God as your source, not just your employer or not just your clients, but God is the one that's caring for you because it's that time, how many know God is consistent and He's going to be faithful to you? So, so let's step into the, the Scripture today. I've entitled this morning's message, Who's First? Can you say that, Who's First? Because Jesus told us there's a condition for Him taking care of us, the author of the universe, our needs are going to be met when we put Him first. So that's the whole focus of of this message this morning because how many know just because we become a Christian doesn't mean God's first. We sometimes separate, you know, our desire for heaven and our desire for His life on this earth. So let's start back at verse 33. We're going to look in Matthew's gospel this morning and see what Jesus had to say, what we would have to do so that God would take care of us. Now, in this recent spat of cold weather we had, how many know there was ice? I mean, it was cold. It was ice. First time I'd ever seen ice on the pond by my house. Uh, the whole pond was covered up in ice. But somehow those frogs survived. Somehow the primal ooze that created those frogs uh, told that frog how to survive. Isn't that the craziest thing you ever heard? God just taught that frog how to get under the mud or something and take care of himself because when it turned 65 degrees, listen, the frogs were out again. And the mosquitoes were out. Somehow God took care of his natural world. The birds that are around my home did not survive because I put out seeds. Now, they liked the fact that I had seeds out, but guess what? God takes care of them. And how many know if God takes care of them, he'll take care of you as well? Punch your neighbor and say, God's going to take care of you. So let's see what we have to do. First of all, I ask this question, who's going to be first, me or God? Now, that's the kicker there in verse 33, seek first God's kingdom, and what God wants. Now, that's the crux of the message this morning. Uh, You know, in the Bible, there are over 500 verses on prayer. Think about it. 500 verses. There are about 500, little less than 500 on faith. Now, you would think if faith is the doorway to God and pleasing Him, there'd be more. 500. How many verses do you think there are on money and possessions in the Bible? Take a guess. How many believe it's over, uh, how many believe it's under 500? Over 500? How about over 1,000? Who wouldn't raise your hand no matter what? There's no trick questions. 
about 2,000 verses on money and possessions. 500 prayer, 2,000 on money. Now, does that mean that money and possessions are more important? No, but it simply means they're a greater challenge for us in our life. Listen, all you have to do is have a doctor tell you you're going to die and you're going to pray. I mean, you're going to exercise faith in God. All you have to do is get in a crisis. All you have to do is be standing before the judge. All you have to do is be somewhere by yourself and can't get out of the problem, lose your job. You're going to pray. But this thing about our material world, many people try to separate their material world from their spiritual world. You get in trouble, you just can't do it. Here's the starting point for, for not this a message, but for God taking care of us. It starts with trust. Can you say trust? Could you just believe that if you would put God first, take care for you? Now, that doesn't mean that you can stay home and be lazy and watch TV all day. I, that, listen, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. How many know you can negate the goodness of God with foolish decisions? But I'm saying in your regular workaday world, working, looking for a job, investing, trying to sell, it starts with trust, God taking care of my life. Can I trust that He can do a better job than me? And what amazes me, God can do something big one day, and the very next day I'm back trying to do it myself again. To put him first, though, I've got to make myself what? If he's going to be number one, who's got to be number two? I do. That's the challenge right there. Now, look at verse 11. Jesus didn't just add some verses in this Sermon on the Mount about worry. He began back in verse 11. And we're going to look for a few moments here at, at verses that Jesus added to this Sermon on the Mount about money and material things. And here's this question, who is taking care of you? Again, not a trick question, but when Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 11, what did He say? He said, give us this day what? Daily bread. In other words, He's looking for daily dependence. Now, I want you to think about getting up in the morning and going to work. Here's how the cycle works. You get up, you go to work, you get up, you run your business, and you're expecting money to flow in, right? But I'm suggesting that you start your day doing just what Jesus said. Because in the Lord's Prayer, He didn't first start talking about things. Anybody honest enough to say that most of my prayers are about what I want or need? Sure. Everybody in this room prays more when you have some pressure or you want something. But Jesus is saying, first of all, let your kingdom come, and then what? Let your will be done. And then it says, give me this day my daily bread. Now, I'm going to suggest to you, and whether it's an unbelievable deal like a piece of furniture, whether it's the check that comes on Friday, whether it's you know, an inheritance or, or whatever it may be, wherever it's coming from, God is the source. Your government is not your source. The actions of the Federal Reserve don't determine your future. They will affect you, but they're not in control of your future. God is in control of your future. And in the national dialogue, what's happened in America today, America has, you and I have enjoyed the last 20 years of pseudo-prosperity, and what's happened, we've created this giant debt bubble that can't be sustained anymore. That's why this weekend and this week they were uh, almost rioting in Wisconsin as union members were basically standing to the government and say, give us what we used to have and we want some more in the future. Now, I'm not knocking unions, I'm just saying, listen, that's the way that it was working. Teacher make $100,000 a year? I mean, that's a pretty good salary. Take off three months in the summer? God bless them. But I'm just telling you, the governor is saying, we don't have any money. We're $3 billion with a B in the hole. It's got to stop somewhere. Our federal government can print money when they don't have money. It just happens to make yours worth less. 
get ready for what you're going to have to pay for clothes and food and everything else in the days that are ahead. But that state couldn't do that. It's almost like there's a battle looking to man to take care of me, and I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll strong arm. I'll debate. I'll threaten. I'll do whatever because I'm going to get taken care of me. That's what I have to do. I've got to look out for number one. And what Jesus is saying, if you'll let me be number one, Listen, I'm not saying don't stand up for your rights. I'm not saying don't get tough. But what I'm saying is, in all of that, God is the source of daily bread. If this gets in your thinking, if on your way to work, if you will pray that prayer, Lord, give me today my daily bread as I go out to advance your kingdom. See, that's the mentality that it starts with, is God is our source. Now, look at verse 19. We'll get into some new stuff. Here's a big question. It's a pretty serious question. I want you to be honest. Do I care more about earthly things or heavenly things? It's a tough question, but Matthew 6, 19, the Message Bible says, Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse yet, stolen by burglars. Don't hoard treasure on earth, but what does it say? Stockpile treasure in heaven. So there's two directions you can go with money. You can be investing some for eternity, or you can be hoarding it all on earth. You know, there's only one way you get money to heaven, and it is not by putting it on a spaceship and shooting it in outer space. It's by doing things to reach people for Christ and advancing the kingdom of God. See, that's what the ministry of the church is about, reaching the world for Christ. Uh, Pastor Travis, this week, you know, that's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. I've been around church and Christianity for a long time, but can you imagine biggest high school in town, a Bible club that's there? And it wasn't just, you know, the pizza bribe to get them there, but I'm telling you what, if, you get up on, if a kid gets up on a Friday morning to go to pray around a, a, a pole when they hadn't promoted it or advertised it or tried to bribe you with anything, if 95 to kids get up and go pray, I mean, something's happening. Well, guess what? That just didn't happen automatically or free. For some reason, our youth pastor wants to be paid money. I don't understand. He's materialistic. If he loved Jesus, he'd just live in a tent behind the powerhouse. I'm telling you, listen, he's got a hose out there. What does a man need? Oh, it's his wife that makes... You understand what I'm saying? Money either stops when you've bought something, and listen, the Bible does not teach you can't enjoy nice things. The Bible does not teach you cannot have a lot of money. Lots of people in the Bible were wealthy people. I mean, no, Jesus, just somebody gave Jesus a tomb to be buried in, lest we forget that. The Bible doesn't teach we can't have things. The Bible just wants to make sure the things don't have us. Listen, it's my hope in life that every one of us, the blessings in terms of our material world increases over time and not decreases. But more greater than that is that your love for God is increasing ahead of these things. Do I love things more? Because Jesus said this in verse 21, where your treasure is, now that's the big thing, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And here's where the problem lies. Everybody wants to go to heaven when they die, but not everybody wants Christ telling them what to do with the money in their hand. Please make some noise because otherwise I think you're guilty. Everybody wants the heaven, but not everybody wants God meddling with their money. Listen, I came to Jesus as a 19-year-old because I was scared, unhappy, and empty, and lacked peace, and in trouble, and messed up. Nobody told me anything about money. 
But guess what? As soon as I began to read the Bible, I began to see that Jesus didn't want to be my Savior. He wanted to be my Lord. And the greatest allurement for my heart is what money can buy. Now, let's step into this a minute. It's, it's, it's a big thing. Money, what you do with money is a spiritual test, and it reveals our heart. Now, listen, I'm just reading the B-I-B-L-E to you this morning. Money is a spiritual test. It reveals our heart. Look at verse 21. Where your treasure is, and I don't care. Listen, I had zero affinity for uh, University of Central Arkansas and Conway. Didn't know zero about it until my daughter started going there. And you know what? Now I care a little bit about that place. Because money, my heart follows my money. My heart will follow my hobby. Uh, turkey season is just around the corner. I look forward to three catalogs every year telling me all the new gadgets and things that are coming my way that can be had. Now listen, those things are not bad, but if you're not careful, it's those things that will take every bit of what you've got. Listen, I've met poor people and I've met rich people. I want to tell you this, friend. You will never have everything you want or need. If you're a successful business person, someone might look at you and say, man, if I just had what they had, then I'd be happy. Well, let's say you've got a grocery store chain and you're successful in life and you've cornered the market in Texarkana, but it's not enough. Miller's Grocery is not enough. I've got to buy out the rest of the grocery stores. And I lay in bed at night thinking how I can expand. And then I want to go across state lines. And then I want the biggest grocery in the Arklatex. And I'm telling you, if you're not careful, whether it's a hobby, a business, a house, or something, it will divert everything you'll ever get into that and your heart will go right with it. You see, and how many know Jesus wants our heart? I'm going to say this a couple times, but Jesus does not need your money. It is just paper, and it's worth less and less every day. He wants your heart. Remember the greatest commandment is to love the... With all your... Stop right there. Love the Lord with all your heart. But there's something vying for your heart. And if you're not careful, it will get you. Look at verse 24. This is a big one. Who is controlling my life? God or money. Now, this is all the Sermon on the Mount, and this is all building up to where we started. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then, then I'll take care of you when my ways are more important than your ways. And these verses simply tell us what His ways are, how we can be alleviated from the pressure of worry. No man can serve two masters. You're going to hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, a master, by definition, is one who has authority over me, one who has authority over another. And then Jesus said it this way, you cannot serve God and money or mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, that word, there's not an English equivalent. It's what's called a transliteration, like the word baptize or baptism. There's not an English equivalent, but this is an interesting word. And mammon uh, goes, predates the New Testament. It begins somewhere around the time of the Tower of Babel. Uh, the Chaldeans called mammon a money god. And this money god wants to control your life. This money god at its root says, I can take care of myself. It epitomizes pride and self-sufficiency, and it promises people that if you get enough of it, you will be happy and fulfilled. Can I tell you, it is a lie. Yeah. Here's how the money God, money God works, and it works even in your children. I know it doesn't work in you as an adult, but it works in your kids. Let's buy a pair of blue jeans. 
Now, we can go to, we can go to Sam's and buy a primo pair of jeans for about, you know, 25 bucks. They don't even have holes in them. <laughs> the problem, they don't have the right label on the back. That's a real problem. Because to get that label, you're going to have to pay $100. You're thinking about putting clothes on your kid's body, and you get those new $25 blue jeans home, and you're pretty happy that you were able to get them because you had to work, and they don't have a clue what work is about. And you gave them to them, and what did they do? Look, if you can buy all those jeans, buy every one of them you can afford. But I'm just telling you, if you're not happy with a pair of jeans that cost $25, you're not going to be happy with a $100 pair because a guy, a marketing guy in Hollywood or somewhere else is going to come up with a new thing next year and you've you got a closet full of $100 jeans and you're still not happy because the money God is yanking your chain. Oh, you think it's just your kids. How about the watch on your hand? Have you ever been somewhere and it's like everybody came in and they wanted to see what kind of watch you were wearing? Ten bucks at Walmart, well, this didn't cost ten, but ten bucks at Walmart will keep time for you. Ten thousand dollars at the jewelry store will keep time for you. Now, listen, I hope every one of you can put a ten thousand dollar watch on your, if you want to, put one on both hands. Put one on your leg if you want to. I don't care. But I'm just telling you, if you live in a world where people are just staring at your watch, to be happy, I'm just saying now, what is behind that? It's the money God. And next week, we're going to talk about the traps behind this. We may even, we'll talk, we're going to look at Judas next week. Can you imagine betraying Christ for money? Here we've got a situation. We've got a generous woman, and she comes to Jesus when he's about to be crucified, offer his life for the world. She takes a year's wages I don't know what you make. Let's say if you make $10,000 or $100,000, you put all that in a bottle, and then you pour it on Jesus. And you're doing it because you love him. But Judas flipped out because he was the treasurer, and he used to steal. You read the Bible. He used to steal what was in the money bag. He used to steal what belonged to Christ and the people people were given, and he'd buy stuff for himself. And when she touched the, when generosity touched greed... He left the room, and he tried to find the people to betray Christ, and guess what they offered him? Money. And when they put it in his hand, and he came to himself, and he realized this will not buy me happiness, he came to give it back, and they said, well, we don't care. And he threw it on their feet and hanged himself. The money God, friend. You cannot serve. You cannot serve God and, and money. What's behind all this? It's getting to verse 33, making him first. We want him to take care of us. And, and, and maybe you feel, they did in the first service. Now, you hadn't felt that way yet, but they feel a little bit like, oh, don't touch my money. And the preacher just wants my money. I don't want your money. If you gave some during the offering, we'll give it back to you if you want it that bad, if you have giver's remorse. I want to help you. But when we talk about money, the wall goes up. I'm just saying, you'll be at lunch in just a little bit. amazes me. We can go in a steakhouse and spend 50 or 100 bucks and can't give $10 to the busters. It just, it just, it amazes me. It amazes me. Because we're cool. and we're Listen, I like to go. Take me to lunch. My wife and I will go with you. I mean, take us. 
If you're busy, just give us the money. We'll go spend it. We'll have a good time. But, but listen, I'm telling you, if you can do both, do both. But if you can only do one, don't give it all to the money, God. Because when it's over at lunch, my friend, it's over. It may sound gross, but you just got a bathroom visit, and it is over. I'm telling you, it's over. And you're going to want something else to eat at night. And then if you get used to eating the high-dollar place, you want to go back at night to have some more fun. I'm just telling you. And you pick another church where they don't talk about money. It's amazing how money keeps people away from God. It just does. It controls your life. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. Let's kind of wrap up this kind of second part here. Give me a few more minutes. Tithing establishes God's ownership of my life. We're talking about God being first. You know the Bible teaches that God wants your second and your leftovers. Some people act like God is worthy of my seconds and my leftovers. No, the Bible teaches that God deserves our first and best. Now, Leviticus 27, it's an interesting passage. One-tenth of the produce of the land, and aren't you glad you're not a farmer here? One-tenth of what comes in your hands belongs to who? But look at that word. It belongs to Him, and it must be set apart to Him as holy. Now, I don't know what all that means, but that sounds pretty much like this is something that belongs to God, and if I'm taking it, I'm stealing. Now, let me ask you this question. If 10% of all that comes into your hand already belongs to God, is tithing giving, or is it returning what's not yours? See, there's something about, in the Garden of Eden, there was one tree where God says, this is mine and it's not yours. And they said, no, we want that too. There has to be boundaries in our life to where we can deliberately become second and Christ can become first. And the, the most potential destructive force in your life is the power of what money can do to you. Stay with me now. If we don't give our tithe, we return it. And have me know, I cannot give something that's not mine. But the active submission of your tithe, listen, is an action that affects your heart because it puts God's first. And if it belongs to God and then I spend it, what am I doing? I, I, I'm stealing. If I take something that belonged to God and I keep it for myself, I'm stealing. You remember in the Old Testament when Achan stole the devoted things and he hid him in his tent, what happened to him? It cost him. Well, listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And I'm telling you, I really do mean this, I don't want anything from you because you're not my source. You're not our church's source. God will give you the privilege to... Can you imagine some of your dollars trickled into Texas High? That still is the most incredible thing to me. And that little picture of those clothes from Mexico. Our group came down from their trip. They went to Mexico, and they're all, oh, we're cold down there. It was 45 degrees. Well, those people are still down there, and they're still cold living in the mountains. Uh, we sent $1,000. All I did was sign the check. It's your money that you gave to God. We just tried to be a steward of it. The doctor in the, in the, in the hospital that we helped support down there for the, uh, the Chamula Indians, she went to town and got 500 pieces of clothing for $1,000. She said, uh, she told ta Pastor Larry, I just started telling what we were doing with it, and people just started giving us coats and shoes. You with me today? Well, wouldn't it have been a terrible thing if that same $1,000 would have just invested in, I don't know, another turkey gun or something? How many guns can I shoot? 
I, I'm just asking now, how many fishing rods do you, do you need? I'm not going to ask how many pair of shoes you need because you need as many of those as you can put in your closet. But, but, but you understand what I'm saying? Did you know that tithing was practiced before the law of Moses? In other words, before it became an obligation. You know, the New Testament talks about willingness. But before it became an obligation, a law, Abraham was in a battle and he honored God by tithing. The Bible says he gave Melchizedek, a priest of God, a tenth of all he received. There was a time in my early Christian life where, I, I just being honest with you now, I didn't really want to give. I've never had enough. How about you? I have never had enough, and I just decided that was the Old Testament law. Can I have a billfold? Everybody starts looking away from me. What if I just took that and stole it and even didn't give it back? Would that be okay? He can run faster. Yeah, okay. And the next thing he'll tell me, he's got a pistol in his pocket. Okay, but listen, can I not just steal that because the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not. Why do I want to pick out some parts of the Bible and obey and forget some of the rest of them? I'm just saying. I smell lunch around the corner. You're going to be delivered pretty quick. But, but it, it wasn't just the law. It wasn't just to honor him before the law. How I many know Jesus even said, and he just touched it a little bit like it's not that big a deal. When the Pharisees were tithing of their seeds, can you imagine this? They would pick seeds in their garden, and they would give one out of every ten, and Jesus said, wait a minute, guys. You should have done the tithing thing, but more important is the weightier matters of the law, the justice and the mercy. See, to Jesus, money was not that important. Are you with me? But the God of mammon makes it super important. Let me close with this, a great promise. Malachi chapter 3. Look at verse 6. God promises to bless you if you'll trust Him with your tithe. Is it possible that 3 minus 1 can equal 4? Is it also possible that 100% minus 10% can equal a bigger blessing rather than a smaller blessing? But let me say this. Even if it doesn't, even if I have to sacrifice, because I'm not going to sit here and tell you, if you just give God a little money, He's going to give you <laughs> That was greed. You remember that was a couple weeks ago we talked about that. Listen, sometimes all hell breaks loose against me when I follow God. If I'm not having problems when I'm obeying God, listen, am I not doing something to make the devil upset at me? But I'm telling you, sooner or later, I'm going to be on the winning side. So listen with Malachi verse uh, 3, 6. I, the Lord, do not change. Now, that's pretty significant. And then verse 7, the book of Malachi is written to a group of backsliders that were basically doing their own thing, and they'd gotten away from God. And here's how God called them back. Return to me, and I'll return to you. Just come to the altar call and say a prayer. Just raise your hand in the church. No, that's not what he said. He said, but you ask, well, how are we supposed to return? And God asked this weird question. Will a man rob God? Now, how are they robbing God? They, don't they have something in their hands that belong to God? And they were not returning it. They were keeping it. But isn't that what happens when a person draws back from God? I'm telling you, your money is the barometer of your heart. What you'll do is you'll blame me, you'll blame Pastor Mike, you'll blame somebody else. Well, what's happening is you're backsliding in your heart. And the first thing that stops, you still show up to church, but the first thing that stops is the flow of your money into the kingdom. I'm just telling you.
you're robbing me in tithes and offerings. And they are different. And it may not be possible for you to go to the big steakhouse if you honor God with your wealth one Sunday. So my question to you, who's first? I'm just asking, punch your neighbor and say, those people behind us look so troubled this morning, so guilty. Look at verse 9. You're under a curse. Now, I don't know what that means, but that doesn't sound very good. What do you think? You're under a curse because you're what? Robbing me. Look at verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, that's pretty clear. It's God's house. Bring the whole tithe so there may be food in my house. In other words, so that they can do those outreaches at Texas High. Come on. You know the, little, the first little clip when you saw him in the parking lot the day before? He's on a stage. Have you seen the little truck in the parking lot with the rocket on top? That's creative Pastor Mike's design. That's about a $15,000 little truck there when you add the gadgets. But what they do, they just pull up somewhere and they have church right there. The, a stage comes out. They've got a video screen for videos. They've got a microphone system. And it's like church on wheels. They go to apartment complexes, go to homeless shelters, show up at the school. Well, guess what? When you bring your tithe into the storehouse, we can do things like that. And if I were you, as you're praying about what church to go to, I would want to find a church that's doing something with my money that's making a difference. Listen, if you're going to care enough to invest money, find a church that's doing something. Find, listen, if all we do is get a bigger, nicer room for us, come on, and fancier cappuccino cups and valet parking, I mean, at some point, how much is enough for us? I'm sorry, I had a hard night last night. I'm tired today. Test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room for it. Now, listen, that's not me. That's the B-I-B-L-E. It's pretty simple. If I tithe, I'm under a blessing, and if I don't, so you got to decide, cursed or blessed. Now, here's something else you got to add to the mix. I'm going to really go into this next week, contentment. Because when you give, I, I, I do not want to paint a picture that, oh, you know, like the guy on television might do, if you'll just give this, you're going to burn, all the world is going to be happy. No, you might not be able to go to that steakhouse for a while because you're being tested to see, do you want God for what he promised to give you or do you care more about his kingdom than your steak? You know, contentment is a gift from God. And you can be, listen, you can be content with the zircon. It's hard. But you can be content with that, or you can be content with the biggest diamond ring that's out there. But the problem is if, if your heart is wrapped around the money, God, when you buy that diamond, I don't have a clue. When I bought my wife's wedding ring a long time ago, uh, her dad and I went shopping at a diamond exchange, and, and, you know, they talked about color and clarity and all those things. Nobody has asked us a question about that since we got married. I bet you she didn't even know anymore. I'm just saying. If I were to, let's say I hired Jeff to do something. Oops. I had some money for service. This went to the bank. If I were to hire you, let's just say, let's pretend these are dollar bills. And I give you $10. Whatever you do, you rake my leaves. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Which one is the tithe? 
Now, I've been tithing for 30 years, but, but I learned something the last six months. This guy that wrote that book really helped me. It's the first one. Here's what, and I'll just be honest, here's kind of the way I used to operate. I go, I'd make my deposit. I'd go home and I'd pay all the bills. Now, I'll wait. I'm a pretty good budgeter, and I would find a way. I'd make sure I tithe, but I'd pay the bills, and you buy groceries, and then if you got anything left over, then you give to God. Did you catch that? Even if you give a 10%, that's not your tithe. Your tithe is the first. The first fruits are the best. And now what I do, and I've been practicing this for several months, and it's really a cool feeling. As soon as I get my check, I make out the deposit, and then I write my tithe check. I wrote my tithe check whenever we got paid, Tuesday, Wednesday. I wrote it out, and it just stayed in the checkbook a few days. But it was the first thing that went to paper because you know what? It's all about the heart. Now, let me be very clear. We are very grateful. We that labor here in the church, we're very grateful for your giving beyond words that you trust us with your giving but let me say this God doesn't need your money it's a hard thing it's a hard thing a couple other scriptures and we're gonna pray Jesus said something pretty big see God owns it he just wants to be first and our tithing our stewardship it's a tangible way to show our spiritual priorities Jesus told a parable in Luke 16 and he asked this question if you are untrustly, un- untrustworthy in worldly wealth, in other words, if God can't trust you to do what you're supposed to with nickels and dimes, who's going to trust you, the true riches of heaven? It's a test. It's a test. So hence, Matthew 6.33, Jesus said these words, Seek first the kingdom of God and what He wants, and can you say, then I'll take care of you. And my whole message this morning has been about that very thing. Who's first? Who's first? Who's first? Who's first? And I want to encourage you today. Make him first. Separate in your mind. Church. This is not church. Make him first. And trust him enough that he can take care of you. And if you don't have everything you want... Learn to be content with what you have. See, let him be first. I I sense the Holy Spirit here right now in a special way. I really do. Lord, we just want to welcome your presence right now. I want to release today my fear of the future. I want to release my love of money. I don't want the money God's hooks to be in me. I bet everybody in this room says the same thing. We welcome you today. We don't want to just get to heaven. We want to live for you on the way up there. Praise the Lord. Hey, how many did speak to you this morning? Anybody speak to you this morning? Yeah. How many would say, I really want God to be first in my life, in my financial world? But how many would also say, it's hard sometimes. It's hard, listen, it's hard when the mortgage payment's there. It's hard when the retirement's due. It's hard when the kids want to go somewhere. It's just hard. But you know what? God can help it when it's hard and make it easier. And I want to offer you today, if you're here, particularly for the message, if you need prayer for your financial world, if you just want to go to somebody after this service and just say, hey, I want you to pray for me. I, I don't want the money God in control of my life. God's been speaking to me today. Somebody will pray for you here. But it's not just about money. Anything you need in these last few moments, we'll pray with you. 
You could be sick. You could be troubled. You, you could get confused. You got a big decision to make. Problems at home. Doesn't matter. We'll pray for you. It may not just be you. It may be somebody you love and care about. And they need something from God. Come up here. Let us pray with you. Let's get the prayer of faith going to trust God and believe God that God will do something big. In just a moment, I'm going to have everyone stand. And when you stand, our prayer team's going to come. And if you want prayer, you just come right on down and we'll pray for you today. But here's the last petition I would make for you if you want prayer. If you need prayer today because you're not right with God, if you're here this morning and just you're honest enough to say that you are not in a relationship with Christ like you need to be, you, you might have never given your heart to Christ. You might not be saved, or you might have walked with God at one time but gotten away, but today you want to get right with God. You don't want to take a chance any longer living away from Him. Today you need the forgiveness of sins. Today you need the promise of eternal life. Today you need what God has to offer you. And I want to tell you, my friends, it starts with a step to God. It starts with the courage to say, Jesus, I need you. Wash me and cleanse me and give me a brand new start in life. Make me the person that you want me to be. If that's you this morning and you say, I want to get right with God, I need prayer this morning, lift your hand real quickly. Come on, be real boldly. God bless you in the back. Two hands back there. Give him a big hand. God bless you. Somebody else. I need to get right with God today. Come on, let me see your hand. I need to get right with God today. I need to get right with God. We want to pray for you, but I want to encourage you. Don't let your Christian faith just be private. Let it be public. We want to give you a book. If you come on up here in just a second for prayer, I want to give you something to help you live the Christian life. Anybody else today? I need to get right with God, and I want to do it before I leave today. Because I promise you this, you won't do it once you go home. You'll be working in the yard or watching TV. Praise the Lord. We're going to pray now. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Pastor Nick is going to begin to worship. Our prayer team is coming. I want you to follow right behind them if you need prayer for anything this morning. And you that lifted your hands to get right with God, y'all come on up. We're going to pray for you. We're going to give you a book that's going to help you in your Christian life. God bless you.